This is Wake Up to Wealth, a podcast dedicated to helping you change the way you think about wealth. And now, here's your host, Brandon Brittingham. All right, what's up, everybody? We are back again, and I am super excited. Another episode of Wake Up to Wealth. And the reason why I'm super excited today is because I got my motherfucking brother, like one of my best friends, my homie. And he don't do podcasts, just so y'all know. Like, he ain't showing up, so don't ask him. Um, Jose Escamilla, my brother. What's up, dog? What's up, big dog? So, you know, uh, this guy... Um, sits in the C-suite of a company, kind of runs a couple of companies. But uh, he's a guy that I go to for counsel. You know, he's he's a guy that I go to for advice, and there's not many people in my life that are kings. He's one of them. And he's somebody that I go to for advice and, and, and to help me. And so, you know, it's it's good to get you on here because you have a shit ton of wisdom to impart on the world, you know? And, and you and, honor me. And and I'm excited to have you. And uh, you know, it it's it's up to you of of what rabbit hole you want to go down, but you, you had a colored past, you know, and uh to to come from where you come from to where you ended up is is pretty a amazing story. So if you wouldn't mind, just give us give us a, a synopsis of what you do. What do you do every day? Who are you? Man, first and foremost, I um I serve, I serve my people first. That that comes first, no matter what. I, I always look at things as a militant mindset, right? I have to be the general. And if I got a weak army, it, it falls on me. I, I pour into them, uh, get them out of ruts, build their mindsets, build that killer instinct that they need to to accomplish whatever goals that are ahead of them. Having that killer instinct is what, what I advocate for them so nothing gets in their way. Nothing, any any obstacles in their way, they know how to crush through them. Maybe well, where, where do you, so the, for the people that are listening to this that don't know you, what do you do? Where do you work? Uh, well, I'm in C-suite for a company called Break Free Academy, who's the umbrella of other companies. Um, I'm also the COO of a software company called Phone Sites. So... Um, I also run some other businesses within that umbrella as a C-suite. Uh, you can call me a director, general manager, COO. None of that shit matters to me. I'm a leader. I know how to manage my team. I know how to push them, motivate them, not just to perform, but to work with excellence and accomplish whatever goals that they're trying to reach. Not only in in our companies, but outside of our companies too. Because as long as if they're happy outside of the company, they're going to come and work 10 times harder within the company. Yeah. That's what I try to instill in them. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think grit and, and going through obstacles and, uh, you know, the, we call the show Wake Up to Wealth and wealth is a lot of things. I think you and I would agree and, and we're aligned that wealth to us is a mindset, right? You know, you're you're one of the few people in this world that I respect your mindset and I respect how you move. You know, it's it's funny. I was telling somebody the other day. I said this is this, this was medieval times. We would be generals in the same army. Motherfucking you know I mean? right. You know what I mean? 
Um, but I think for you, uh, at least one of the things I've learned from you is I think your mindset is, is, is powerful. It's part of your wealth, right? Yeah. And, and that helps you financially because your mind is so powerful. But, you know, you, you, you didn't always have that. You had obstacles, you had shit you had to go through, you know, like, tell us about like what you went through to get here. My dad really was important into us. Uh, he was a hard man. You know, hurt people hurt people, and I think he was hurting. So he just relayed that pain onto us. Me being the oldest, it was on my responsibility to take care of my two little brothers and my sister. For whatever reasons, I got a vague idea as to why, but he had to go to the other side. When I say to go to the other side, I, I believe he created enough chaos here in America to go to Mexico for a while and hide right. out. So when I was 13 years old, I jumped off the porch and uh, decided that enough was enough. My little brothers and sisters deserve clothes that they wouldn't be laughed at at school, hygiene, haircuts, you know, all that basic stuff that, that a parent's supposed to provide for their kids. I didn't have that. My mom was busy running her businesses. Uh, she had a cleaning service. It was called Busy Bee Maids. She had a couple of vans. She did pretty well, but it wasn't enough for, for all of us. So my family has ties to the cartel. So it was kind of easy to leverage their names to get some of the older guys in the hood to, to front me weed. So the first one gave me about two pounds. I, I was asking for 10 he was like, well, why am I going to give you 10 if I don't know what you're going to do with two? Put it in my backpack, rode my bike, went and talked to one of my friends whose grandpa was pitching 20 sacks and ounces and stuff. We sold it to him. I think I made like 150 bucks off each one. That's 300. When you're 13, that's a lot of money. That's goddamn right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I went back, gave him his bread. Within an hour, he gave me the 10 pounds and I just started pumping maybe 20 a week. And... um so I decided I, I needed I needed more money quicker and faster. I just, I got a bite, right? Just like a pit bull, it tastes blood. It just, just wants more. So we were segregated in West Dallas. So you got a Hispanic community, you got the black community, Hispanic community, and black community. And we used to have to ride the same bus in the mornings. And it was just a fight every single morning. There was this guy named Bar Marlin. I'm not going to say his last name, but... Uh, me and that dude, for whatever reason, man, this dude right here, I think him today, but I hated him at that time. He was bigger than me, had six packs and muscles and shit that Hispanic kids don't got at 13 years old. Right? Right. Yeah. Dude had some size to him. And uh, we sat there and just, he beat the brakes off of me every day, but it encouraged me to get into boxing. My dad was a boxer. My grandpa was a boxer. I was the one that was kind of slacking off towards the end. I signed up. I was I got to boxing and boxing quick and fast because I had a I had a mission to get on. I, I had to defend myself every time I needed to ride the bus to go to school. Well, it happened for a few years, but I ended up getting my 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 boxing game and my street fighting game just got defined by this dude's constantly practice. It was just clock in every day. I had to go to school. Well, anyways, one day I, I, I just pulled him to the side. I'm like, look, man, I, I could get any dope at Mexican prices, right? Because we get them cheaper. Right. And uh, I picked his interest. We put a plan together. He opened up the projects for me. So we're sitting there pitching 
you know, big eight was at four and a half ounces, made it hard. Now I'm 13 years old, hand to hand combat with adults. I had a pistol on me, but at 13 years old, you don't even weigh, you weigh less than a hundred pounds. I could be easily be overpowered and shot yeah. with my own gun. So I started recruiting older people, the older gangsters. And I had to formulate a, an idea on, on why they would look out after me. So the best thing I had was more dope at Mexican prices. So that would be feed, feeding their families. They, they weren't going to get no prices like this nowhere else. So I had two older dudes that were looking out for me. I had pretty a lot of respect in those projects. And uh, they just made sure that one of them was around while the other one was pitching dope. And it allowed me to scale my game. Now I'm making five grand profit a, mo- a week. And uh, I started that. We started, I rented this sixplex and uh, we knocked down some walls, had buckets of acid in case we saw the police come in. We would just dump the dope. I'd rather take a loss than a case. So I did that for a couple of years. I ended up uh, getting a little big headed. And uh, I think it was 2000, I want to say 2014. I was 14 years old. Uh, my little brother wanted to go to a Easter party and I go across the street. Back then we had uh, pagers. Yeah. Yeah, it's a long time ago. And uh, I go across the street, use a pay phone. This little girl comes running by my brother's age. He's three years younger than me. And uh, tells me it's some adults, some 30-year-old guys hit my, my little brother. So at this time I had a car. I drive up to the party where I dropped them off and I see them limping up towards me. And I had this big ass 357. And uh, I swear, I just bought it because it looked intimidating, but but I couldn't even squeeze the trigger. I would have to like cock it back and then take a shot. If it was a gunshot, I'd probably lose this one. But I got tired of carrying 25s and 3A. I wanted something to knock the bricks off of something. So I get off, tell my little brother, get in the car. I see four dudes, they're in their 30s, standing there. And I'm like, who hit my brother? Who hit my brother? And they're just looking at me, calling me names, telling me to get all, get get out of here, get out of here. Finally, one of them says, it's me. What you going to do about it? So I raised a 357. I had already cocked it before I pulled over. Yeah. And I hit them once on the shoulder. Boom. And they take off running. They, all oh, the fight out on just, just, they take off running. And the dude turns around while well, I shoot him again. That's where I made my mistake. They ended up charging me for attempted murder because I shot him in the back. It's not that I was a coward. I shot him in the front already, but he took off running. I wasn't going to let him just get loose like that. Well, anyways, I did. I did some time in Texas Youth Commission. I got out. I started acting bad again. And uh, my dad introduced. He said, okay, y'all want to be some bad motherfuckers. Let me introduce y'all to some people. And uh, one of my uncles was over there on the other side. And I ended up working with getting trained by the golf cartel on military uh, warfare, uh, counting, logistics. They were preparing us to to be somebody's here in America and move dope around and stuff like that. I ended up getting a conspiracy when I was, was 21. I ended up serving 15 years in the Federal Bureau of Prisons on a 20-year sentence. I did 15 flat. And... uh no matter what I put my mind into, and even at 13 years old, I understood that there was a goal 
to accomplish in this case was to provide for my little brothers and sisters um, to protect them. I didn't have a father figure, so I had to be the father. I had to be the protector. I had to be the provider. So he, even though I didn't have a child, much of a childhood in my teens, um, I was developing to who I was going to become when I got older. Black then, I looked at them as curses, found myself in prison, found myself in some violent situations. Um, but I've always, I was always trying to figure things out. And it helped a little bit out with their education on logistics, accounting, how to transfer money, how to count, um, how to move things around, how to manipulate uh, the department, the laws, um, how to protect what, what's ours with the military training. I'm pretty, I was pretty good with guns and hand-to-hand combat in close quarters, especially when I went to prison, it paid off. So when I get out, I had a, another game to go figure out. And that 15 years hurt. And um, that was 15 years of my life. I'm never going to get back. You know, that's time wasted. But I had to go through all of these things to become the man I am today. I, I figure shit out. So stepping into corporate world, my doorway there was a very good friend of mine, one of our best friends and, and a brother to me, Brian Stuman. He gave me the opportunity just like he gives everybody else opportunities. But I decided that I was going to figure that out too, just like I figured out the dope game when I was young and figured out how to protect my family and figured out how to move through prison without getting stabbed or killed. I figured it out. Um, I observed. I watched other people's mistakes. I believe there's three types of people and three types of ways to learn. One is uh, the smart one is learning by other people's mistakes. Number two is learning from your own mistakes. And number three, people just don't learn. So I, I learned by other people's mistakes and observing what they were doing to get and see sweet level stuff. I understood I had to start from the bottom. So I started as customer service. I started as a website and funnel developer. I started as a marketer. I moved on to uh, chief tech officer because, I mean, I, I've always been into puzzles and problem solving. I love figuring shit out. I love building stuff. So I became CTO, but I always had that, that management leadership personality about me. So it was easy for people to seek me for answers. I mean, looking for answers, um, looking for solutions. It was easy. It was easy for me to motivate people because I've had to motivate people most of my life. I had to encourage them. And, uh, the way I train my people is to become future leaders, not good funnel developers or good salesmen or whatever position they are. I want them to be leaders in that industry. And I know how, because I've always figured that out. And uh, the guy I work for is very intelligent, uh, very successful. And uh, shit, now he trusts me with all of his companies. You know, so. um, I mean... If you're so, if someone doesn't know you. I mean, I know you. You're you're my brother, but dude, like, if you just if you listen to your story, like streets, cartel, prison, C-suite. I mean, that's fucking one in ten million chances that that happens, right? I mean, it's seriously. Think you think about it. Most people that go to prison, you know what I mean. The the chances of them coming back to prison. I don't know the statistic, but it's fucking high, right? Yeah. And most of the time when you get out of prison, the only thing you know is how to get your ass back. Like what, 
change for you mentally? Like something had to change somewhere where you took, you took the good and the bad and you made that switch mentally and said, I'm not going to go back. And then not only, not only did you do that, but then you actually thrived, right? You don't get to C-suite in a company that you're that as big as the company that you're in if you're not really fucking good at what you do, right? If you're not really good at sales, marketing, and ultimately leading other people, like, but there was a, there was a switch somewhere. Do you know when that happened? Can you pinpoint it? Yeah. And uh, I say this respectfully. I know I'm smart because I know how to figure things out. I used to listen to this recording on YouTube on my way to work when I was building funnels and websites, a guy named Earl Nightingale. And uh, he said, listen to this recording every day. So my drive, I lived in Keller and I had a drive to Addison. It was 45 minutes, no traffic, about an hour and 15 minutes with traffic. And one thing he said, he said, in, in, he said intelligence is defined by the definition of intelligence is the ability to gather information and effectively apply it, right? And information was everywhere for me. I just had to figure out what they're stepping stones to this game, right? You don't get to C-suite level by chance or or putting in a resume for it. You have to earn that shit. You have to earn the the trust of the board or in, the, in our case, our CEO and president. I had to earn this trust, right? So I stayed quiet. I didn't brag about nothing. I Sometimes even some of my best work went overlooked, but I didn't let that beat me down. As long as I kept honing in on my skills, at one point they weren't going to be ignored. Not hard, my, hard work only goes unnoticed for so long, right? And, and, and yeah, yeah, I don't know any other play, way to put it, but I show up. I'm, I'm not much of a talker. I'm, I don't brag about myself. I just do it. That's why sometimes it's hard for me to believe all these great things people say to me in my face, right? Um, but that don't mean anything. It's what people say behind your back that matters the most. That's that's really how how people feel about you is what they say behind your back. And I kept hearing the same things that people were telling me to my face behind my back. Third parties would tell me. I would see recordings. Um, I hear people talking about me on stage and I'm never in that room. But I, I, I kept hearing all these great things, but I, I believe that I was too hard on myself that I, I didn't have a chance to, or I didn't have time to participate in that shit. I still had something to prove to myself. Even though I've affected people's lives in a positive way, um, I'm going to get to that. I still don't don't feed off of that. That, that, that energy that other people would boast or get egotistical about or reassurance that they're on the right track. I don't participate in that shit because I got a mission. My mission is to affect the most people I can in a positive way as possible. And if I start feeding off of praises and, and getting my roses, um, I'm going to get comfortable there. I don't think that's enough. I want more. I, I want to affect more people's lives. I want to change more people's lives than possible. And the reason why is we were born with a conscience and a soul. And some of the, the most violence that I have participated in or had a word to say on it was, has created PTSD in me 
anxiety, depression, sometimes even night terrors. It was some, I was at war. Of course, nonstop. No, it was war. Yeah. And um, I've lost a lot of loved ones. The one that hurt the most was my little brother got executed by the, by the state of Texas. Um, He got in a shootout with them, shot a couple of them. He had a couple of murders under his belt. I was under um, trial for murder, two murders myself. And I beat those. My brother, unfortunately, couldn't. And so we get a 30-minute phone call. Nobody knows this. I think this is the first time I'm ever going to air it out. I'm going to air it out to you. I got a 30-minute phone call the day before they executed him. And I was in prison Uh at the time. I think I had about six months left on my 15-year bid. And um, we talked for a little bit. We had a few laughs because me and him had the same energy and the same um, sense of humor. Some other people might think it's uh, (laughs) inappropriate, but we find shit funny that other people don't. So we had a few laughs. And at the end, he said, bro, don't let this shit be for nothing. Break generational curses, man. Take this family another direction. We were taught wrong. We were raised wrong. We have a choice now. We're smarter than this shit. So when I got out of prison, I was determined to change my life around. And I gave my little brother my word that that his death, his his execution wasn't going to be for nothing. That one of us were still out here and have the opportunity to change the direction of our bloodline and our legacy. And even though it's going to be, you know, smudged a little bit, look at the Kennedys. You know, Joe Kennedy is one of my most, I admire what he did. He was a, a bootlegger. Yeah. Got tied up with the mob and all his kids were present. Created one of the most wealthiest, uh, powerful, influential families in the history of our country. And I want to look at it like that. Nobody talks about when Joe was, was a bootlegger. They're talking about John F. Kennedy one of the best presidents that ever lived, right? And he was assassinated. Well, I looked at his story and I said, why not? Why not me? Why Why do I have to wait or why do I have to mold my son to do it and put that responsibility on his shoulders when I can fucking do it? You know, so as much harm as I've caused this world, a lot of similar stories are like that biblically. You know, you have some of the greatest characters that, that ended up showing up for God were, were killing Christians and burning Christians on crosses and, and murders. And I mean, and these guys are some of the superstars in the Bible. I read the Bible that way because it reminds me that no matter how my beginnings were, that shit don't matter. It matters where I end up at and what direction I choose to go on my own terms with nobody to influence me. So I surrounded myself with the right people with the right mindset. I didn't make no fucking excuses. And I decided to just be the best version of myself. I'm educated. I'm smart. I'm well-read shit. I had 15 years to read. Right. So I dialed in on that. But that, it doesn't end there. Education is continuing. Um, I didn't have the money at the time. Um, my uh, my boy Ryan, and he's probably got about $150,000 invested in coaching and mentoring and programs that he put me through because he seen I was hungry. He seen that that I wasn't going to give up. I'm a scrappy motherfucker. The fight don't stop till I win. And I came into corporate world with that attitude. I, I it, was, it was scary at first. Um, you know, there wasn't, 
people like me in my past. So I hit it pretty well. Um, I always showed up with a smile. I know I can be kind of intimidating. So I softened up my look some, my, my, um, I always had a smile on my face and a quick handshake and ready to quick and serve and solve, help people solve problems. But the most I, the more I kept doing that, the better I got at it. And, uh, I think I, <laughs> there for a little bit, I think I had like an identity crisis because it was a struggle when problems would come up with the old Jose, how he would handle things with the way the new Jose has to handle things. So that was a constant in, internal battle that I had to deal with, but I got it under control after years of, of exercising that muscle. Yeah. It's not always violence. And it's, it's a mind game. I love chess, been playing chess forever. Um, so that's how I look at it. Um, once somebody controls my my pieces on my side of the board, they control the whole game. You know, so I had to stay in control of my own pieces and how I react to people's moves against me or against my organization or those I find dear in my life. Yeah. And now we don't fight with with guns and grenades and kidnapping people. Now we fight with our minds, with our work ethic, with our moral compass. That's always going to be my uh, my North Star. No matter where I'm lost, uh, I've got my moral compass that's going to keep my North Star shining bright when I'm lost. Yeah, yeah. Powerful stuff, man. So, um, well, you know, uh, I never heard you talk about Earl Nightingale, but I think that's why you and I vibe, you know, um, Earl Nightingale, one of the most powerful things I ever heard him say is we come, we become what we think about most. You know, every time I'm on stage, I say that at the end, right? Yeah. That came from Earl Nightingale. Um, and not many people know, you know what I mean? And today's generation doesn't know about him. Nah. But like he was like one of the, one of the most powerful, influential speakers of his day. He was coming kind of to the end of his ride when I found out about him. But shit, back in the day when I was growing up, you could only get him on cassette tape. Like you'd have to yeah. hear, listen to it on a tape. So that's funny you say that because there's only a few other people I've ever met in my life that like knew who he was and like listened to his shit. But uh, he was powerful. I mean that that statement has resonated with me um, forever. You know, we become what we think about most, and and that was I had one of my first mentors. You know, was like you need to listen to Earl Nightingale. It'll help you with mindset shit. So that's that's uh that's pretty crazy you brought that up because that was like one of the first things I was exposed to in the personal development world and mindset world was the Earl Nightingale tapes, man. Like literally I had cassette tapes. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know what I was Googling um on YouTube or searching on YouTube, but I'm pretty sure it had something to do with I don't know, mindset or growth or something, some kind of development. And uh it was black and white. The video was black and white. Yeah, because he's old school. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so it it would have been boring as fuck. But I said, let me give this dude a chance. And I played it and it was like the most powerful shit I could listen to every morning. You're absolutely right. And that's another thing that I learned from him is what if I always focused on how I used to be and not who I wanted to become? Sure. Right. People get stuck on that. People get stuck on that victim mindset of a child. Childhood trauma, trauma, yeah, right. Childhood trauma is is my childhood trauma of getting beaten and and never motivated. I was always told that I wasn't going to be shit. 
this is from my dad. You got to remember that. Like, this is the dude I was supposed to be looking up to as a God next right. to God, right? Well, it was a total, he was hurting. I feel bad for him now. I hated him growing up. Yeah. You know, I hated him. He went to go see me and Julie said, hey, we're back in town. Uh, we're going to let everybody know uh, that I'm back in town. And I'm going to put the fear of God in all them and nobody's ever going to attempt to try to, to hurt any one of my kids. Look how much I hated him, man. I looked at him dead in the eyes and I said, for what? He said, I'm your dad. I said, I already did that. And what, what do you think I'm in here for? For doing your job. Yeah. I jumped off the porch and I've provided for my family. I'm the one that's in here for letting motherfuckers, people know not to mess with my, my family. Did you I already did your job. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got, uh, I was, uh, I'm still working on it. I'm still a baby, but I was uh, baptized Sunday. Yeah, so. I was going to ask you about that, but you brought it up. And congratulations on that. Thank so, you. So where do you think, um, so, you know, I didn't get a chance to tell you this, and it's, you know, we can we can talk about it now. So in June, I spoke at MDM, you know, big stage, you know, uh, for Apex, Apex event. Didn't know at the time I had seven kidney stones and uh, um, diverticulitis, which is just, it doesn't make any sense of why I was standing and I was able to, to even go through that, right? But um, the cool thing about it was uh, before I got on stage, um, you pulled me aside and you prayed over me. And, uh, you know, the, the, the things that you said um, to me, for me is personal and it's between me and you. But, you know, I had this weird, like calm came over me and, you know, for a good, you know, 30 to 40 minutes, you know, I spoke for an hour, but for like a good 30 to 40 minutes, I didn't feel any pain. And it was like, right after you did that, you know, it's, um, divine, whatever you want to call it. You believe in God. You don't believe in God. That's your problem. But, um, that's real shit, man. That happened. That happened two months ago, you know? And, uh, I mean, I went out and gave the fucking speech of my life. You know what I mean? In, in 11 out of 10 pain, it's not even, I wasn't even on the scale, bro. Like of where I was. And immediately after you did that, um, I had an overwhelming calm of, there's no way I'm going to fuck this up. And this is supposed to, this is meant to happen the way it's going to happen. And this is how it's playing out. But, um, you know, the, 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 you put the belief in me and you breathed it into me like, yo, you, you got this shit. But it was, it was, in my opinion, divine intervention. So just by hearing my story, man, I, I've, I got there because I used to get bullied when I was little before I turned 13. Crazy story. I'll tell you about it later. So one thing is I've always been a protector of those that I love. And and I consider you one of my brothers. You know how people fake call friends, brothers. I really look at you as one no, of my brothers. No, it's real, man. yeah. We, we've had, yeah, we've, we've been through it. So plus I, I believe we're cut from the same cloth and we are same our frequency. frequency. Yep. Yeah. No doubt. So... When I'm overprotective of someone, I feel when I love someone, I have to protect them. 
And there's some things that are out of my control to do. Sure. Right. And in my heart, when it comes to you and some chosen loved ones in my heart, it's pure love. And, 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 and everything flows through your heart. So if you got love in your heart, whatever you do is going to flow through there with the DNA of love in it. And since it's out of my control to ease your pain and, and you were hurting. Yeah. Before that. No fucking doubt. I seen it, bro. But you're a fucking soldier, man. You 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 didn't participate in pain. You jumped on a plane from Maryland down here to Texas when duty called and you showed up. Mm-hmm. You showed out and you touched that crowd. Well, where that prayer came from, man, I it, however I'm feeling, however I'm asking, even at my expense, I'd carry that cross for you, is I poured everything that I had into you. And it and it it came from a place place of love and, and and pure love out of my heart. And everything that you do flows through your heart. So when I prayed, it was a transfer of energy, man. Yeah, to, for real. It yeah. was, you know, and because I could barely walk, dude. I mean, he saw me like I was fucking struggling. And, like, you, and you controlled that room, man. Yeah, no doubt. You controlled that room with your stories. I seen people get emotional when. When you wanted the crowd to to laugh, they laughed. When you wanted them to stomp and cheer or yell or when you asked them a question, you controlled that room. And no man can control hundreds of people, um, maybe even thousands of people. I'm not sure. I didn't do a 12, count. I think it was 1,300 people in there. 1,300 yeah. people and you moved them all in one you know, so that that was powerful. That was powerful. The reason why I got into prayer is because I know some situations are out of my control and I have to tap into a higher power to help me help those that I love the most. And that's where I channeled that from. Yeah. And my decision to get baptized is there is no greater existence in this world that demands the level of respect that God does. Everywhere, and I, I don't know the Bible. I can't recite it. I know some of the stories in there. I've turned pages and chapters, and I've even done the. It, all you have to do is pray and open it, and and whatever page, just read it. It's going to have an answer. I don't believe in any of that. I'm very intentional with what I do, but there's some stories that I'm very familiar with, and um, I've heard in the Bible God speak some the most gangster shit that you will ever hear anybody say. And he's proven it. And Saddam and Gomorrah, he said, hey, y'all need to start behaving. I'll burn this thing down, right? And he did. And his threats were never weak. When he said, you either follow what I'm telling you to do, well, I would destroy you and your whole bloodline. Some people didn't listen and he followed through. And, I mean, look at the level of respect. But he also loves at the same time. There's no love like God's love. There's no forgiveness like God's forgiveness. And he loves his warriors. God is a God of war. He loves his warriors. Look at every, look at the majority of the characters in the Bible. There were soldiers and killers and, and, and brave men. There was one guy, he asked, hey, take your son up time and slit his throat. For the love of me, sacrifice your son for me. 
Imagine that, bro, especially being a father. I can't imagine being asked to go take my son up on the hill and slice his throat for the love of God. And he was going to do it. When he raised his knife, God said, hey, that was just a test. You with me? Come on, let me bless you and your generations to come. You know, the, the, he, he loves his, he loves his soldiers. He loves his soldiers and he will take care of you. So me being a soldiers for men, right? Um, I read this, I don't know if it was in Proverbs, but it says, a man who wants to become friends with the world becomes an enemy of God. I was a soldier for men. And I fucked some shit up. But there's no greater general or greater existence in this world that I'd rather follow than God. He can bring destruction into your life or he can bring peace, love, and happiness and wealth. And wealth is, yes, you're absolutely right. Wealth isn't money. People who believe wealth is is money, they tie it to money, are materialistic individuals. Wealth can be a wealthy mind. I think... Health is wealth. I think... For me, the reason why I say it, wake up to wealth is because your mind controls everything. You can become wealthy in life and financially when you free your mind from the matrix, which I believe we've all been taught wrong. And the reason why I named the show Wake Up to Wealth is because what I want people to, I want you to weaponize your mind so you have the ability to wake up wealthy every day. And if you do that, if you change the way you're think you you were raised on money and education and personal development, and shit, you're the fuck man. You're the example of um by by society standards, you get out of prison, you ain't gonna be shit, right? Like I'm sure people told you that, you know what I mean? But you woke up and told yourself a different story, and look where you ended up. And to me, that's waking up to wealth. That that's what it's about. It's changing your mindset so you're not stuck. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. wealth can be anything to you. Do you know what I mean? Doesn't mean you gotta be worth a hundred million dollars. You could work a nine to five and be wealthy and however that seems to you. For me, it's more of an education for you to understand that there's always another way. And if you free your mind, you weaponize your mind, you can do whatever the fuck you want. Absolutely. And what you do with it, you can have wealth, you can have $90 million. What are you going to do with it? I believe money is like alcohol and power. It doesn't change you. It makes you more of who you are. No fucking doubt. Right. You get rich. You got people like Epstein doing some horrific shit to underage girls. You got people in power that don't deserve it. Like Hitler, you have, um, Alcohol, you can turn a wise man into the most ignorant person under the influence of alcohol. No doubt. You know, so, but being intentional, I decided to come out here and actually make a difference. I've got multi-millionaire business owners who reach out to me and pick my brain and go go out and, and, and apply it and come back and thank me later. Mm-hmm. Fuck. Yeah, no doubt. Shit work. Shit work. That feels great to help others. But I also want to go back to my roots and see how many, how many diamonds out there in the rough I can pull out into this side and better their lives and give them an opportunity 
and be that poster child that, hey, even though I was come from a pretty violent past and did some bad shit, I've corrected my ways and now I want to help others do the same. Yeah. That's the mission. You give me $90 million, I'll probably donate most of it to, you know, Operation Underground Railroad, Operation Lightshine, people that are fighting the good fight against people that can't protect themselves like our children and women. Yeah. You know, we used to punish these child molesters in prison. <laughs> Shout out to everybody who stands up. Um, you know, we used to punish them and I can't do that out here. Right. I can't live like that out here. So I, I got to support the troops that are fighting the good fight. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, that's, that's where I'm at now, man. I'm I'm trying to make a difference. And I've got a lot of people that watch my stories and reach out. Where do I start? Yeah. And um, I'll, I'll get to them here soon. I think, I think me and Ryan have a great idea. Um, that should take effect October 6th. So I'll let you know and you can let everybody else know. We're still working on the details of it, but we're going to launch it October 6th. It's going to be a huge movement. We're not charging anybody for it, but I think it's going to make a huge difference uh, with us influencing other people that can't afford to pay 60 grand and 12 grand or 25 grand right. for our programs. It's going to be free. Yeah. And it's going to be a starting point to change some lives. So um, powerful stuff, man. I, I always end the show every time the same way. And I just ask, what's waking up to wealth mean to you? Because for everyone, it's different. Waking up to wealth, to me, wealth is having, having God on my team and having people like you and Ryan in my life. Y'all make my life wealthy. Having my knowing that my children are are healthy and happy and are living their best versions of life. That's wealth to me. That I can call you any moment or call Ryan any moment and and just hear y'all makes me smile. Knowing that y'all are doing great. Y'all are doing the good work. Cause look how many lives those three affect. Think about it. It's a lot. It's a lot, bro. Yeah. It's a lot. So just to be able to sit as one of the kings in y'all's lives is is wealth and being able to affect people and 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 pour into others to better their lives. That's wealth to me. That's true wealth and for the love of God. Yeah. Well, bro, um, man, it's been a long time coming to, to sit down and do this with you. And I appreciate it, bro, because I know you don't talk about a lot of the shit you talk, you just talked about today. And I appreciate that. And I appreciate you being a king and a brother in my life. And I thank you so much for for coming on here with us today. I appreciate you having me, bro. Don't ask me this shit again. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Wake Up to Wealth. We sure to appreciate it. If you haven't done so already, make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you consume podcasts. This way we'll get updates as new episodes become available. And if you feel so inclined, please leave us a review on Apple Podcast and tell your friends about the show. It is how new people find us. Until next time.